Thanks for downloading another episode of Filmed in Canada. We're a podcast about Canadian movies. I'm William Lee, and with me again is... Alexander Cairns. And uh, to be fair, someone could just stream it off the website, so not necessarily being downloaded. Well, then they're chumps, because you're using up your data. When you... right. <laughs> yeah, well, you should subscribe because you want to listen to every single episode and I go back so. through the back catalog. Actually, speaking of which, we have, um, we have more than 10 episodes at this point, so I was going to do my top 10. Filmed in Canada episodes. Oh. Um, not episodes, but the movies that we watched. I, I've movies. got a top ten now. So it's not necessarily the way that the episode turned out. You just want to... No, okay. I'm not ranking our quality of the quality of our episodes. I'm ranking my preference of the movies that we've seen. So keeping in mind I haven't seen Porky's, my top ten is Take This Waltz, Backcountry, Crash, The Reflecting Skin, The Forbidden Room, The Saddest Music in the World, Room, Enemy, Ginger Snaps, and my bloody Valentine. Is that ascending or descending? It's descending. Okay. Yeah. So All take right. this waltz first. All right. My well, bloody Valentine last. But you got to leave room for porkies. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, I'm just <laughs> saying it could jump into the top ten at some point. All right. So there you go. Awesome. Well, I look forward to your top ten next time. Um, I'll work on that. I got to crunch the numbers and see how they work out. Yeah. yeah. Today we're going to talk about the mask from 1961. It's had. Not, not exactly a revival, but it's been restored, and uh, people have put, uh, put effort into replicating the 3D effects that were intended for the movie. Again, it came out in 1961, and um, I haven't verified these, um, these facts, but it's, it's said to be Canada's first horror movie. Did that come out really weird? Horror <laughs> 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 Sorry. Let's do some vocal exercises. Me, 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 ma, 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 ma. It's said to be Canada's first horror movie and Canada's first 3D movie and the first Canadian movie that was widely distributed in the U.S. And it opens with with Warner Brothers banner on it. Yeah, and actually, it's get it like part of this whole restoration. It got a Blu-ray release in America as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we saw it with the old style. 3D glasses where um, you get one piece of, um, of blue-tinted plastic in front of one eye and one piece of red plastic in front of the other eye. And the effect is pretty underwhelming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. I remember a time in uh, the late 80s, there was a TV station that was uh, preparing to do a big marathon of, of old uh, monster movies in 3D. And so they had this promotion in the convenience stores where if you buy certain products, you would get 3D glasses. Yeah. And this was, it went on for like months before this happened. So buy, I'll buy your whatever candy it was and get your 3D glasses. Cause you gotta get, gotta be ready for the night when they're gonna premiere these, uh, these old 3D movies. And, and that I remember the most disappointing thing ever <laughs> because, because it didn't seem to work, right? No. You, you held this thing up to your eye and it's like, what am I supposed to look at? It's just, you hold the thing up and the screen's red or blue. And well, and no, and because especially since it, since only some scenes are in 3D, at least for this one, mm. like you put it on and then your eyes have to adjust to it because that's the whole point. It's like, it's like causing your, each eye to see different colors so that you, so that you fake yourself into seeing a stereoscopic image. And so I was just like, it would take my, my, my eyes like 30 seconds to adjust and then I could kind of see it. And then like the scene, the 3d scene would be over. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but you're right. You have to, you have to fake your eyes or convince yourself that it's working. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but I guess this is, um, the optimal way of trying to replicate that effect because, um, the, the movie's restored and it's, it's digitally presented. So, so you don't, you don't, I, I guess we're not worrying about the image being out of alignment. Um, and, uh, this is the close as that technology ever got to working, I think. Um, uh, so a little bit about the movie. It was directed by Julian Rothman who was around from 1915 to 2000. He was born in Montreal. He did a lot of work in TV, but The Mask and one other movie from 1959, The Bloody Brood, were his only feature movies. Bloody um, Brood sounds like a horror movie. It was about it was about um, a street gang or something. Huh? Yeah. And it starred Peter Falk. Is he Canadian? Um, I want to say no, but I don't, I don't know so. for sure. Yeah. Uh, just <clears> one more question. Is he American? Um, that's well, that's good. <laughs> that is good. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Have you um, have you washed that trench coat lately? Wait, what? Have you washed that trench coat of yours? Like, no. I don't know what you're talking about. Dude. Well, your Peter Falk trench coat. I'm talking about your your Colombo trench coat. No. It doesn't yeah. Our brand of humor doesn't play well on the radio, <laughs> so I'm not sure. I'm not sure if we're gonna find the uh, the optimal way of doing that. The Mask is about a psychiatrist, I think. He's some sort of yeah. a doctor, yeah. Dr. Alan Barnes, who, following the suicide of one of his patients, um, he gets uh, this mask that is... Um, he gets this... Um, fuck, how to describe it? He gets it's, some kind of it's, mask. It's an ancient mask with some voodoo mask. in it. And, and when the, he puts it on, he sees visions. It's basically the Jim Carrey movie, The Mask, but not a comedy. And he doesn't and get weird out of it. Yeah, he doesn't turn into like a 30s gangster. No. no. <laughs> and um, his dog doesn't put it on at any yeah. point. But it's, but it's like an addiction, as a lot of the characters are, um, are want to remind him, um, that, he, his, that he's compelled to put on The Mask is like an addiction. And so his girlfriend or his wife, I think it's his girlfriend, tries to help him overcome the addiction. And uh, there's a, a policeman who is also on the case because of his patient's suicide. Yeah, that's the gist of the story. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let me tell you about the cast. Paul Stevens is an American actor. He plays uh, the main protagonist, Dr. Alan Barnes. His girlfriend is also an American, Pam Albright. No, that's not it. <laughs> that's, that's the character's name. Just Hold look on. it up on IMDb if you yeah. really care. Anyway, the two, the, I guess the point I'm making is the, the two main actors are, uh, are imported from the U.S. But the Canadians on the cast, uh, Lieutenant Martin, the cop, is uh, Bill Walker from Regina. The first patient who uh, commits suicide is Martin, Martin Levant. I should have written more neatly. But he's from Montreal, and Mrs. Kelly, his landlord, his landlady, is uh, played by Eleanor Beecroft from Ontario. And I thought I'd seen her in some other movies, maybe on TV or something. But she has um, she has that type that always probably always does bit parts where she is the housekeeper or the landlady. Yeah, yeah. Um, shot in Toronto, and we're going to talk about this because it's on our Canadian movie podcast. But if I hadn't known all that, um, and if I, had, if, I had, if I hadn't known the history of this movie, I think I might have uh, mistook uh, it for an American movie. Yeah. 
I didn't think there was anything that screamed out to me that it was Canadian. It mm. looked like, especially since it opens with the Warner Brothers banner, it looked like any of these sort of um, crime movies from like the 40s, 50s, I thought. Yeah. yeah. Um, the one thing that did kind of stick out to me, you, you mentioned when we were talking about the reflecting skin, the, the concept of Canadian acting and that being... Did I talk about that? Yeah, okay. its own sort of thing that that Canadian actors can be... Well, I don't know, maybe if you can give your explanation of what Canadian acting is in your mind, because I don't really have a concept of that. But it felt like this movie played into that concept that you have. Oh, I don't remember too well of what I said about Canadian acting. Is it because like, it's very... The kid in The Reflecting Skin, you were talking about how like his line readings were really weird. and Oh, but maybe that was just because of the kid. Oh, well, now I remember. It was because of um, his parents, right? Yeah. I thought they were like very one-dimensional, and if it was just in a different movie, you would you would think it was bad acting, or it was like some kind of a satire or something. Right. Yeah. 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 So this movie, I felt like it had that kind of acting, okay. or at least the, just the campy elements of it made the acting feel worse than it was potentially. But like the landlady in particular, like every uh, everyone in the audience when I when I saw it was just sort of hooting, hooting and hollering at her and. And a lot of the, a lot of the moments that we were supposed to take seriously just were kind of laughed off. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if that's a result of the acting or, or if they were going for laughs. Or... Right. Well, the police lieutenant too. Um, he he really seems like the stereotype of that cop who who um, is. Um, who's really like serious about his job, but he's just missing the clues. Just like he's just <laughs> he can't put it together, right? Yeah. Um, so, is it because they're like they're mimicking that acting style from an American movie? Is that why it feels like it's sort of like one step removed from an actual performance? It's a performance of a performance. Yeah. Maybe that's maybe that's kind of what I'm getting at when I when I when, to say, when like, you say the lieutenant. There, there's the scene where he's in the psychiatrist's office. And the mask is sitting there in the box. Yeah. And he's like, if only we could find this mask and then, you know, all of our problems would be solved. We'd know exactly what the mystery was. And, yeah. and then it cuts to a shot of the box sitting right there and then he walks out. Yeah. And like everyone got a big laugh out of that. Right. The way that scene is staged, it seems like deliberately poking fun at the fact that he's a dumb cop, right? But it, I, I feel like it also could be that like they thought they were subtly hinting that the box was there rather than it was like, no, it's right in the center of the frame. Like it's right here. It is really in the center of the frame. It's yeah. Like it's not even in, it's not even like on a shelf behind them. It's like, but, but they don't, between but they the don't characters. frame the cop in this shot such that he would really see the box. So there's nothing to suggest that he would suspect that this mask is in the, like it's a weird thing where like mm. you're hinting to the audience that the box, that the mask is in the box, but you're not implying that the cop should know that. Right. I I thought it was a very unsubtle staging of that scene. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, whether it's supposed to be for, um, for comedic effect or just because they're trying to say something to the audience and not to the characters, I, I don't know. It, it, yeah. it just, but at my screening, too, it just got a lot of giggles from yeah. the audience. Yeah. Just because we're, I think we're used to also seeing those clues in movies that... Um, that that tell us what we're supposed to get out of the staging, and uh, um, again, maybe it's because we're attuned to a type of movie from that era. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, did you enjoy watching the movie? Yeah, I'd say I had fun watching it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You can take it seriously, though. No. No. Um, I mean, the 3D 
was just like so gimmicky and like people like clawing out at the screen and just like stupid shit that mm-hmm. there was no reason for it to be in 3d other than to cash in on whatever whatever sort of built-in support that had from the audience at the time that they could sell more tickets or whatever yeah and all that stuff is shot sort of um markedly differently from um the rest of the movie yeah uh which which seems to be like this uh, you know street level almost like cop movie yeah and that's kind of like stuff, a noir but in the daylight yeah yeah <laughs> yeah without the uh without any menace yeah and without the interesting cinematography yeah. um but that stuff seems to be like on a sound stage with like fog effects and people in like in billowy robes and stuff and yeah it just really seems like a different place yeah. which which is, is it's all in that character's mind i suppose but yeah. it um it's hard to imagine you that an audience was supposed to look at that and think it was like a, a scary environment it just looks a bit scary. oh yeah. yeah i yeah I, I was not for a moment scared by it at all but i mean like if you watch a lot of the old um uh, what studio did all the dracula and universal yeah so if you watch those universal horror movies like i don't really find them scary but they're they're interesting tellings of those stories, I guess. Mm, yeah. Um, I was also reminded of, there's a Hitchcock movie, is it Marnie? That is about um, psychoanalysis. Psycho, ah, is it psychoanalysis? A person is a psychoanalyst, right? It's about psycho... I think The Wrong Man has a bit of that. Um, who's what's What's the main character in The Wrong Man? He's... The wrong man. Is he a psychiatrist or something? I'm thinking of the I one. I think well. of the one that that has like a, a dream sequence that was actually uh, conceived by Salvador Dali. Okay, I don't know which one that is. Spellbound. 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 Yeah. So in Spellbound, there's like this elaborate dream sequence, which is like one of the main things that they promoted with that Hitchcock movie. Yeah. Because um, he, the characters run through this landscape, and it's full of these like Freudian kind of symbols and like surrealist um, imagery. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. It's the one with Ingrid Bergman? Perhaps. And Gregory Peck? Yeah, that sounds right. Not Marnie with um, Sean Connery. That was completely wrong. Or, nor when Marnie was there? It's uh, very different from when Marnie was there. Yeah. Though I recommend that one too. Yeah. Studio Ghibli's last film? Potentially perhaps. their last film. Yeah. yeah. Let's hope not, but it's a solid one. But back to uh, The Mask. Um, so, what was your point with Spellbound? That they had these dream sequences that were okay. um, a, a big selling point of that movie, but they, but they were very pur- purposefully constructed to um, meant to um, to convey to you like the theories of Freud and uh, psychoanalysis. Psycho, <laughs> fuck, I can't say <laughs> psychoanalysis. Thank you, psychoanalysis, and, and like something to do with what the characters are going through and whatever. Whereas like these, yeah. Whereas this one, it just seems like it's it's um, mime artists or something who are just like waving their hands in front of the camera. Yeah. It's like it's <laughs> like if you were to go to a haunted house yeah. at at like the peony or something, and like those are actually scary. But like if you went to a haunted house at the peony fifty years ago, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, the did you did you find anything about it was shot in Toronto but did you find it, did you see anything recognizable about it Yeah so the I think it was the psychiatrist's office that mm-hmm. he drives up to a number of times when he's going into the building that's at Queens Park Okay all right at least that's my best guess yeah. I, but it looks very similar to Queens Park and it's like a it's this old 
sort of Victorian building, brick building there that I don't know if it's used for anything. I try, I was trying to look it up before, but, um, it's, it's gotta be like some government institution or something, but. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're more familiar with Toronto than I am, but, um, I had, I had trouble picking out like any recognizable landmarks. And I think for me, I think it was partly because it was in black and white. Yeah. And I think there's, I think there weren't a whole lot of exteriors though either. No, but there's, um, yeah, there's like the museum where they go to, um, Mm -hmm. and, um, some 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 street scenes as well, um, but I think black and white just has a way to make things look timeless or or placeless. They just yeah. they just seem they just seem like movies um, or places in movies from yeah. the fifties, forties, right? Forties, fifties. Yeah, I would say I would say my like I don't know if this is generally true of all people, but my eyes definitely don't pick up as much depth or or as much of the background in black and white. I guess. Mm, okay. Like it just more sort of blends in. Yeah. The other thing I want to talk about was the music, which also made me feel it was uh, a studio picture from uh, from Hollywood. There's uh, there's wall to wall music um, that just seems of its time and uh, for for like a, like a, a detective movie or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, so again, uh, I think it's a good it, it does a good job of mimicking that style of filmmaking. So I didn't uh, it didn't strike me as obviously uh, not from Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, the music. The composer was Louis Applebaum from Toronto, who um, who had a lot of um, his he had a long career making music for radio, film, and television. Cool. Yeah. What uh, else you got? <laughs> uh, we could talk about uh, the mask. Well, that's what, we're already talking about the mask. Well, the physical mask. Let's talk about okay. the physical mask. Okay. Yeah. What do you got? Well, how did describe that mask? It looks like a bunch of pieces of glass, maybe or. Okay. Yeah. I thought I was thinking it's the thing from the Fantastic Four that's been bedazzled to death. Okay. Yeah. It's because yeah. it's all it's all segmented, but then it's all shiny too. And yeah. yeah. Um so it's it's an effective looking, unique looking prop, for yeah. sure. But it, it certainly didn't look like it was it didn't look like it was authentically from some ancient society or that it was something scary. But um, yeah. yeah, it's interesting that they Interesting that they had that design. Yeah. I was trying to think of, of some other movies that do this, but the opening where it's like the guy, he doesn't have the mask on, but he goes and murders the woman and then he shows up to the psychiatrist's office and says, like, look, I'm going crazy. I've been wearing this mask. Um, and then he kills himself. Like that sort of trope as like some random person that gets you into the horror movie and then establishes what the main kind of supernatural element is or whatever, but then isn't in the rest of the movie, either because you're killed or whatever. Like, the only thing that I can think of is I keep thinking of your next on this podcast for whatever reason, but that one opens with, like, the murder of the two people separate from the whole family just to kind of set the tone, I guess. Mm. But can you think of any examples of other horror movies where you're sort of introduced into the world through this one character that then gets murdered and then you're off to another thing? Um... Well, I feel like I'm cheating if I say Psycho because it is it, that one is totally about. You think it's the story about Marion Crane, right? But once she's gotten rid of, it, it's actually the story about Norman Bates, right? Is, is that what you're thinking of? Yeah, to yeah. a to a certain extent, but I'm thinking more so just like almost just like before the opening credits, like just a short sequence with another character. I feel like it's I've seen it before well if we if we think that of the mask as a as a character that takes us through it the the physical mask 
Yeah. Um, you would, there would be a link between that opening scene and the rest of the movie. Right. Um, Scream kind of opens that way with the murder of a character that sets the tone for the rest of the movie, right? Yeah. Um, and then, um, and then it's about, it's always, everyone's trying to figure out, everyone is referring to the original murder at the beginning of the movie, but it's really about these characters trying to escape from the actual murder. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's definitely a good example. But I, yeah, and so like, if, because Scream is a horror movie about horror movies, I feel like there has to there have to be other examples of that. Okay, so yeah. we're still looking for the 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 oh the original. Uh, Friday the Thirteenth. Okay, definitely opens with a murder of just like a random person that has no connection to the rest of the group, and then like she she runs up to the to the road, and I don't know, I don't remember that movie that well because it's not very good, but. It definitely opens with a random murder and then gets into like the main group mm. of kids that show up to the camp. Okay, yeah. I think it's, well, it seems like a it seems like a necessity then because if if a movie wants to if it wants to give you a murder to set the tone, that character won't be in the rest of the movie. Yeah, but I guess specifically that it opens with that, mm-hmm. and then it's a character that has no relation to the rest of the characters. Uh. Just seems like a trope. I think it makes sense, though, as a, as a way to open a horror movie. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a scene that puzzles me a little bit. Okay. Um, when, when the girlfriend, when the uh, psychiatrist's girlfriend, Pam, uh, is trying to prevent him from putting on the mask again, so she, she grabs it and runs out of his office and then gets into a cab, and I think she goes to the museum or somewhere. And then, he, and then uh, the psychiatrist gets into his car and follows her. Yeah. All right. Um, the uh, when they get to the museum, she stays in the car and the cabbie goes inside. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I just noticed that. Too. All right, now what what instructions do you think she told the cabbie? She said she would she would have said leave the meter running. I want you to take this mask and go into the museum and find a deserted office and hang it on the wall. <laughs> and and then come back out and yeah. drive me off somewhere. Else. And he does that really fast because he does that before the psychiatrist can catch up to them. Yeah, yeah. Um, it just seems like it seems like there, should, there would have been a smarter way to like prevent the psychiatrist from getting the mask than give it to a random person it just, to hide. Just it. break it, just destroy it. <laughs> yeah. But and and then he fortunately or, or throw it in a lake or something. Yeah. But then someone else will find it thirty years <laughs> later, and we'll have another movie called The Mask Two. But we didn't. So, no, except yeah. there was the Jim Carrey mask. And that was almost about 30 years later, so... Right, and there was a sequel, which I think he wasn't involved with. No, that was just about the dog, I think. <laughs> but I, I think it's a, it's a fun movie, and it's nice that this, um, I, I, you know, it, it seems like a thing that was an, a throwaway effort back in its day to cash in on a craze, yeah. um, that it gets preservation in our, not nostalgic, but I think in our ironic hipster culture. <laughs> Yeah, there, it was definitely an ironic response, and yeah. I, and I would say that I had that kind of response to it as well. It's just kind of right. a campy, fun movie. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. I don't know that you you can necessarily assume that that wasn't the experience of people fifty years ago too. That maybe they were just they went to to laugh at it as well. Yeah, yeah it's possible. Yeah, it's possible. Um, I hope though people seeing it for the first time were like into the experience of seeing it and let, and just kind of took it in instead of. Instead of like shouting their comments to the screen to to guess what was going to happen next, like it was a surprise. Right. Yeah. Uh, um, like at at the screening, there was a group of people who uh, who were just having a good time. But one of 
that one of the people in that group would say out loud, "Put the mask on now," <laughs> because 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 the, the the character was hearing that voice telling him to put the mask on. Yeah, and that's so really annoying. It is super annoying because you're not that funny. No, you're really not that funny, hipster douchebag. But uh, we have to. I, yeah. re- I really hope that that was someone that ends up listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, dude. Yeah, shut up. Yeah, your friends don't think you're funny either. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah. Right, so that I, I'd have to say, but back to that put put the mask on now thing. Like that was ridiculous. Because like every single time you had, because because you're not wearing the 3D glasses the whole time, you have to just put them on when the guy puts the mask on but it's like just you're watching a movie you can just watch the guy put the mask on and be like okay like just put a disclaimer at the front saying put the glasses on when this guy puts Actually, the mask on which they did have it's written on the glasses yeah. yeah it's written on the glasses and they have a disclaimer at the beginning of the movie yet every single time they take like a minute to say put the mask on so we don't know if audiences back in the day were less sophisticated had that level of intelligence yeah. to follow simple instructions we don't know that for sure we don't know but but for certain the filmmakers didn't give them the credit that they no. that would figure it out yeah uh, but it's yeah it is what it is and i don't you know i don't regret seeing it yeah so um Let's go to our uh, usual way to round out these episodes. Uh, is there anything that stuck out to you as particularly Canadian about the movie? You said the Canadian acting, and I think I think you could make a case for that. Yeah, yeah. but I but like I said, I don't really know what Canadian acting is yet. Okay, then I will say Canadian you, acting. You have it in your mind, but um, <laughs> but then I, I don't really feel that way about this one because yeah. I think they're all. It just feels like they're trying to act and make a movie in the style of something that they've already seen which is these maybe it's a maybe it's like a, a monster movie from Hollywood or maybe it's maybe it's kind of um, a second rate crime drama from yeah. Hollywood yeah yeah um, nothing else really I mean like I said I noticed the one location in Queens Park but mm. and the, yeah and that's definitely like a location that they would use in Toronto that sticks out as that like that that it immediately reminded me of that city because it's in the middle of this park whereas like so many so many movies and television shows use the U- the University of Toronto campus to represent university campuses in other cities or or whatever sort of um like old hospitals or whatever they use those locations all the time that they kind of feel like they're, they they feel disconnected from from Toronto in a way, or or I don't notice it as much. But that's a, the location that I've never seen in other movies. Well, it has it go has that going for it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's give it a score of uh, out of thirty one thirty one leaves. Great. Um, I I would give this one sixteen out of thirty one leaves. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say fourteen or fifteen. Okay, so we're all in the ballpark. Now that we're going up to higher leaf ratings, we have some more sort of wiggle room to give it like a 14 or 15. You know, it's kind of... You can't it's decide. Only, you, it's only like a 3% difference. So. And, you, and you can't commit one way or the other. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, it's good to have that flexibility. <laughs> Would you agree? <laughs> I agree. Great. All right. Well, thanks for uh, sitting down for this chat about... 
the mask from another world in a planet from outer space. Is that where it's from? No. No. I, I think it's from somewhere in the West Indies. Oh, yeah. As they would have been called 50 years ago. <laughs> I think that character at the beginning who introduces it says so, but I, I don't remember what he said. From space would have been much more interesting. Yeah, dude. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Our other content is uh, at our, you can find it through our website, filmedincanada.net. Uh, you can contact us by email at filmedincanada at gmail.com. We also welcome iTunes reviews. Yes, we do. Though we won't know if you're giving them to us if you're from a country other than Canada. So email us or or write a comment on our website. Yeah, we haven't gotten any emails yet, so it's kind of no. depressing. You didn't get mine. Although, although we might have gotten one by the time that this episode goes up. Well, we can hope. <laughs> All right. Tune in again or download or stream again, and uh, we'll have another movie to... Uh, Hopefully you'll, that, that will say interesting things about and uh, uh, quick, play the music. I'm, I'm done. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs> <laughs>